Okay, listen, today is a big day for us uh, as a family, as a church, because today we are announcing to you the location of the next Reality Church plant. And uh, yeah, praise the Lord. We have been teasing you guys for several months now, and uh, we've been seeking the Lord ourselves for over a year now, and we've heard from the Lord. Uh, it's been confirmed. We know where the next church plant is going to be. So we're going to announce that to you this morning, but, but we're going to do a little teaching to surround that, to bring you guys into the process. Um, we're going to let you know how we discern what the Spirit is saying and, and why and how we do church plants. Uh, so open up to Genesis chapter 1 for that. Genesis chapter 1. We'll, we'll start in the beginning. Uh, if, if you listen carefully this morning, you're, you're going to gain a, a, a greater understanding of God's story, your place in it, and how to hear from the Holy Spirit, okay, through example. So I want you guys to listen carefully. God's story, our place together in it, how to hear from the Holy Spirit and move forward in the world on mission. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you that from before the foundations of the world, you foresaw this day. And uh, you knew where we would be birthing this church together and when we'd be doing it. We thank you, Lord, that you have a calling on our church to birth other churches. We just praise you for that. Jesus, the church is yours. You're the one that's building it. It's your blood-bought bride. You're the one that loves it. You're the head over it. You're the only senior pastor. And your kindness, you've invited us into your passion of building the church. And we thank you for it. And we ask it today we would catch a greater vision for your story, our place in it, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and moving forward together in mission. Please anoint myself to speak now and ask Pastor Al as he comes in a little bit. Please anoint us to communicate to your beautiful church. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, in Genesis 1-1, it begins and it says this, in the beginning, God, stop right there. In the beginning, God, before anything else was, God was, right? The correct understanding of God is that he is preexistent. He's always been. Our, our kids always ask us. Daisy was just asking me the other day, well, where does God come from? He doesn't come from anywhere. That's why he's God. He's always been. Nobody made God. God made everything. It's one of those brain twisters, and yet it is theologically true, and we believe it. But how has God always been? In what way has God always existed? God has always existed, as a triune God, right? As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's how God has always been. What does it mean to be God? One what, but three who's. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The one God who is triune in his nature. God has always been that way. That means that God has always existed as a community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. More than just a community, though, God has always exist, existed, excuse me, as a community of love. For we're told by the Apostle John in 1 John 4, 7 that God is love. So God is a community and God is love. God exists as a loving community. As an expression of God's love then, as an expression of God's desire for community, he then invents humanity. Okay, all of creation, everything, including humanity, is an expression of God's love, and particularly humanity, God's desire for community. And so he makes man in his own image, which means a whole lot of things, but most importantly for our purposes today, it means that we were created for loving community. God created Adam, and after saying everything else in creation was good, he said, but it's not good for Adam to be alone. Adam needs immediate community. So he created woman, the crowning achievement of all of God's creation. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and so Adam and Eve existed in community with one another, but more importantly, with God. It says in Genesis that, that God walked in the cool of the day in the garden, that God was there present with them. So we have in God's original intent a community of love, between God and humanity, and humanity one to another, and back toward God. God, Adam, and Eve. This extension of the triune nature of God's communal love into creation. And everything was beautiful. They were naked and unashamed. And God was present. And then the fall. 
And what happens in the fall, in man's rebellion against God, man, man's sin against God, what happens in the fall, among other things, but most important for our purposes today, is this. Community is broken. That's what happens in the fall. Community was broken first and foremost with God. Previously, they were in relationship with God. God was present, but because of their sin, because of the rebellion, there now comes a separation. As the prophet Isaiah said, your, your sins have separated you from God. So, so now there, there, there's a break in that community, and there is even a break in the community of Adam and Eve, wasn't there? Because where previously they were naked and unashamed, now they were hiding not just from God, but from one another and seeking to cover each other. Sin brought brokenness in relationship and community with God and amongst humanity. And all of the brokenness that we currently see in culture and throughout history, all of it has to do with relationships and sin. All brokenness is relational. From adultery to genocide, all brokenness is relational. And, and that, that, that brokenness has its root in sin, which initially, among other things, breaks community and relationship. Well, this situation of broken humanity and broken community was unacceptable to God. Because God is love, He then sent His Son. To do what? To redeem us. To do what? To bring us back. To do what? To restore us to God. The second member of the Godhead, the Son, drapes Himself in humanity, is born of a woman in poverty, lives a perfect life in our place because we couldn't, dies a horrific death on the cross so that we want it, and rises to brand new life that we might too have new life. So that when we put our faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we are made brand new. And what that means, among other things, but most importantly for our purposes today, is that we are restored to community with God. That is what that means above everything else, that we have been brought back into right relationship with God, not because of anything we have done, but in spite of what we've done and because of what Christ has done for us. God's original intent for creation in humanity is restored. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're brought back into relationship with God. And therein is tremendous reason to rejoice. Because we were lost, broken, separated on our way to hell. And Jesus saved us and brought us back to God to have a loving, meaningful relationship with Him, that for which we were created. But then secondarily, what the gospel does, not only reconciles to God, but then it reconciles us one to another, doesn't it? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the truth of that and the transforming power of that reconciles us one to another. As we are individually plucked out of the domain of darkness, Colossians 1.13, and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son, we become sons and daughters of God, hence brothers and sisters of one another. And we become a reconciled, loving community. So central is this to God's plan that, that Jesus said something like, listen, you, you got to forgive people. You have to forgive people. You, you, in some way, if, if you withhold forgiveness, forgiveness will be held, withheld from you. But we must be reconciled one to another because we've been reconciled to God. And we become sons and daughters of God in this loving community. Now, what community always wants to do is gather, right? And, and cultivate that sense of community. There is a sense in which we're parts of communities that are scattered, right? I'm part of the surfing community because of my passion for that is scattered. We're not all here together, but once in a while we all get together and it's a beautiful thing. So Christ in the gospel is individually plucking men and women out of the domain of darkness, bringing them into the kingdom of the beloved son. And when they're sons and daughters of God, reconciled to God, in love with God, discovering how to forgive one another, they start to say, well, we want to get together. So that Jesus, in anticipation of that, says this in Matthew 16. He says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yeah. And, and the word he used in Greek for church was ekklesia, which means basically a gathering. I, I am going to build a gathering of my blood-bought people. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. it it's going to be a a force in the world for change that will put the powers of hell on its heels. Remember, the gates are a defensive mechanism. 
Okay, when we talk about the church of Jesus Christ, we're not on the defense. Hell's on the defense. And the gospel is storming the gates of hell to rescue men and women and bring them back into the loving community for which they were created. So anticipation of God's people wanting to gather around him and for him and be on mission with him, he said, I'm going to build a church. I'm going to build a gathering. And so after Jesus ascends, where do we find the initial Christians? We find 120 of them in a room together praying because that's what the church does. And the spirit falls upon them and the church official is birthed. And at first it's a small church, 120 people, small church. Peter preaches a single message where 3,000 people are saved and suddenly it's a mega church. It goes from a small church to a mega church in a day. How do we grow the church? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter did. From small church to mega church in a day. And then here's what happened. Jesus had told them to preach the gospel and make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. So as they went preaching the gospel, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, what what happens in the wake of the kingdom is the church. The gospel is proclaimed. Men and women are delivered from the domain of darkness brought into the kingdom of the beloved son. They have this new sense of community gathering around the person of Jesus, a, a shared interest, a shared passion, and shared purpose and meaning, and they want to get together. So wherever the gospel is preached, churches spring up. Churches exist in the wake of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom going forward and being preached. And that's what we see men like Peter doing and Paul doing, is going and preaching the gospel and churches springing up because this community around Jesus gets together and it becomes a force in the world for change. So much so that the church and individual churches have a scriptural mandate to be birthing other churches through the preaching of the gospel. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Every church is to be reproducing, sending men and women to preach the good news of the kingdom, and in the wake of that, new churches spring up. And what statistics show is that more people are saved through new churches than older churches. That's just the way that that works. Evangelization happens, and, and renewal happens in existing churches and in community. So there's a scriptural mandate which makes sense historically for churches to plant churches. And then we as reality have not only the scriptural mandate and the historic precedence, but we have the prophetic call to be planting churches. Because shortly after we started Reality Carpinteria, God told us to start other churches, right? So we started Reality Los Angeles. And then Reality Stockton, which is now Reality Central Valley because they have a bunch of campuses throughout the Central Valley. Right? And then our, our little grandbaby, Reality London, was birthed out of Los Angeles. And, and then Reality San Francisco. And today we're announcing Reality... Not yet. <laughs> Wait for it. Wait for it. And when God called us to plant churches, He gave us a metaphor. And, and it, was, it was a process of birthing. Okay, the, the common metaphor in the church planting world is that of planting, which makes sense. You go and you, you work the ground, you put something in the ground and you water it and something grows and, and, and that's a suitable metaphor. But the metaphor that God gave us to work from was the metaphor of birthing. Okay, because birthing is more costly and more labor intensive. It takes longer. You don't just stick it in the ground, throw some water and walk away and hope it springs up. You're like pregnant, you know what I mean? You're like carrying this thing. You're like feeling it. I've never been pregnant, but I've been told that you're like feeling this thing. And I've been told that birth is painful. I don't know. But, (laughs) and we know that it's costly. So God has called us to birth churches. And, And the most important thing about birthing is it's intensely relational. As this child is carried in the womb, a mother and a father for the two are one flesh, scripture says, are uniquely and profoundly attached to this baby. And we're to birth churches in that way. And so as birthing is a long, slow process, God gave us a long, slow process, whereby through the leading of the Holy Spirit, we would identify a couple. In this case, we're talking about Alan, Nina, Abdullah. We would identify a couple that God is um, clearly telling us to, to birth a church with. We would then discern a city together, and then we birth that church through a long process. In the case of Alan, Nina, it's a two-year process minimum that they'll have been going through. And the reason that we do that is because a call on your church is not to plant many churches, but to plant healthy churches. 
That is a call in this church, not to plant many churches, but healthy churches. And by the grace of God and for the glory of God, we've got the fastest growing church in the city of Los Angeles and the fastest growing church in the city of San Francisco, and they're healthy, as is Reality Stockton, Reality Central Valley. God has called us not to plant many, but healthy churches. I've only got two kids, Isaiah and Daisy. I don't want any more, but I want them to be healthy. We want to plant as few churches as we can and still obey God, and we want them to be healthy. So there's this long relational process of investing. And the city is, is the issue today. What city are they going to? And, and I'll just tell you, in the same way that we, we hear the Spirit say, plant a church with that couple, we hear the Spirit say that city. And it works different all the time. Here's where you're going to learn a few things. The Spirit speaks differently uh, to all of us. For Tim, for example, um, I had just heard the Spirit say, you need to plant a church with this guy, Tim and Lindsay Chaddock, with them. And uh, he put on my heart Los Angeles because at the beginning of this church, we had dozens of people driving from Los Angeles every Sunday to attend church here. And we're like, that's weird. And the Spirit said, it's not that weird. Think about it. Start a church. So <laughs> by the leading of the Holy Spirit, I approached Tim and I said, Tim, do you ever see yourself planning a church someday? He's like, yeah, I do. I said, where are you thinking? He said, well, I'm thinking of the Bay Area where I'm from, where I grew up, or New York. And I said, how about Los Angeles? And he said, I hate L.A., which is so ironic because if you know Tim now, he's like the L.A. cheerleader of all. He's like, L.A. <laughs> like, it's almost creepy. And so he went and prayed and the Spirit said, yes, L.A. So we joined ourselves together for a long process. It was a totally different dis- process of discovery for uh, Josh and Andrea Kaler who would wind up planning Reality Stockton. Josh grew up in that area, and as a small child, he had a vision of Jesus walking him through the streets while they preached the gospel together, and men and women fell on their faces and got saved. And he knew from a young age that he would preach the gospel in that city. And so we then, as reality, just had to hear that from the Spirit as well that we were supposed to partner with that, and and we heard that. Dave Lomas uh, of Reality San Francisco, Dave and Ashley, entirely different process. Um, We were talking for a long time while he was here about places to go, and we were praying, and he initially thought places like Santa Clarita, which I was sure that wasn't the Lord, (laughs) places like that. And um, he's at one of our gatherings, and he's he's on his knees here, right, worshiping the Lord. And um, as, as he's on his knees, right, when you're on your knees like this, and as he's on his knees worshiping, literally buried his face in the carpet, he looked back and he saw the boots that he was wearing. Now, if you know Dave Lomas, he, he's a bit of a fashionista. <laughs> he has a bit of a shoe fetish, uh, overspends on shoes frequently. I'm trying to work with him on that issue. <laughs> in fact, he just came for vacation uh, last week, he and his wife, their vacation in Santa Barbara. And on his way, he had sent me a text saying, look at my vacation shoes and a picture of these white shoes. I'm like, who gets vacation shoes? <laughs> like, I've got a pair of Vans, they've got holes in the big toe, and they go everywhere with me, vacation shoes. So he's kind of funny like that. So he's on his face worshiping, he looks back, and he notices the boots that he was wearing. They were his winter boots. He had, I thought only women and like cowboys had winter boots, but <laughs> he had winter boots. And he just looked at him and, and the Lord grabbed his attention and said, where'd you get those boots? And he said, I, I bought these in San Francisco about a year ago. And he said, and that's where I'm sending you. Just this weird little Holy Spirit moment. There, there was a lot of other things that played into that that, that that allowed that to be a confirmation, but just the Holy Spirit speaking in interesting ways. And, and we've been through this process again now with Al and Nina. And so Al is going to come up and tell you about that process. You'll learn a lot and you'll celebrate when you discover the city. Welcome, Pastor Al. I think part of the uh, part of the beauty and the chaos of the Christian life is that it's a life of faith. Like you don't always know what you're supposed to do or where you're supposed to go. And uh, that was us a couple of years ago. I can remember before being invited into the whole process that we call church birthing with reality being on the phone with Britt on the 405 in Orange County. I was a high school pastor there, and I was on the phone with him. And I remember him saying to me, 
knowing that I had a couple of opportunities in front of me, knowing that I had a growing desire to plant a church, and a couple of people saying, come here, or maybe you should go there, we'd help support, all of that stuff. And him saying to me on the phone, you gotta be careful. Think about the fact that the place where you plant your church is almost as big a decision as knowing who you're gonna marry. And it stuck with me because, um, you know, you can't always formulize or spiritualize that big a decision. I mean, a decision that big, who am I going to marry, where I'm going to move, where, where God's calling me to be. You can't formulize that. We want a formula, a five-step process, or we want to spiritualize that at certain times. But at times, it boils down to examining the character, counting the cost, and then having the green light from the Lord knowing this is what I'm supposed to do. This is where I'm supposed to be. I, I got to do this. I want to do it. And as much as it's going to be costly for me or for us, this is what we believe would be exciting and God's direction for us, God's best for us. And some of you are there today. Some of you are praying through decisions. You're faced with heavy circumstances. And you're wondering, what is it that God is calling me to do? Which of us wouldn't want to have a few-step process to know how to get there? But for a lot of us, it is a, it's, a, it's a long duration. It's a process of looking at the character, counting the costs, and having the green light from the Lord. I didn't really know what to expect for the moment that we would know where we were being called to birth a church. I'm not much of a fashionista, as you can tell, probably. Um, God's never dr drug me through the cities of any town in a dream, so I really didn't know what to expect, or even if I should expect anything. I thought for sure I was going to be the one who got the shaft, and I just had to figure it out. That's just my personality. It's horrible. <laughs> I try being me. It's terrible. So it wasn't until one night this past April in a restaurant, pub in Portland, that that moment happened. And that's when we knew. See, a couple years prior to that, I was a high school pastor in Orange County. And as I said, I had a growing desire to, to plant a church for various reasons and had fought that, not really knowing what to do with that. A friend of mine said, you know, you should consider going to this certain city. It's a really cool city. I think it'd be a great fit for you. I think you'd be a really good fit for it. I didn't know much about that city. Um, so I kind of just tucked it away and, and didn't think a whole lot about it. But it did intrigue me. I went home probably about a week or two later. Before going to bed one night, I was reading an article online. Um, and I... This article said that this particular city in this region was now the largest unchurched region in the United States, that at one time it had been a hotbed for the gospel and for revival, and now it was completely dead, completely dulled to the gospel and in need of gospel-centered churches. And it intrigued me so much that I took that article into bed, I read it to my wife, Nina, and it was really fascinating to me. About a week after that, I was putting on a, an event for uh, a large-scale event in Orange County for some youth, and a friend of mine who is a, she's a popular speaker, we were trying to get her to speak, and, and she finally got back to me. She lives in L.A., but she said, I'm so sorry I haven't been able to get back to you. I've been in this city. And I emailed her back, and I said, what would a church plant be like in that city? She said, oh my gosh, you'd be so perfect for this city. You have to come here. You and Nina have to come here and pray over it and plant a church here. This city needs a church like a fat kid needs cake. Now, <laughs> I've been a fat kid. I know cake's pretty important. And so I'm not entirely sure what that phrase means, but I know it means something big. And so we kind of just processed through that. Fast forward, we had then made the decision we knew that God was calling us to partner with reality as a family. 
and calling us to move to Carpinteria to take a step of faith. And so I'm finishing out my days now in Orange County as a high school pastor, and I'm eating lunch in the courtyard uh, by myself, which I rarely ever ate in that courtyard. And um, this man walks up to me, and, and I'd never met him before, and he asks me, what do you do, and what's your plans for the next year? It's an odd question. Normally, I would just give him the Heisman, but today I engage him in conversation. <laughs> and I said, well, we feel a call to, I'm, I'm a pastor here, I feel a call to plant a church, and we're about to move and partner with a church called Reality, and we don't know really where we're going to be, but here's a couple of places that we've considered and he began to just share with me about how he was a church planter and he had planted a couple churches and his kids were grown and how God had always cared for, always taken care of their need as they were just faithful and obedient to God's call in their life. And it really spoke to my fears because I was going through those very fears about how will this look for my kids and what kind of toll will it take on my family? He started to share with me verses um, that only I knew and only I had written down of verses that God was speaking to me about at the time. Verses like uh, God taking care of Elijah with ravens bringing him food and supernaturally providing for this man. And as he's speaking to me and encouraging me in my fears, he doesn't know this, but he is speaking words of truth to me and it's really encouraging me. He then says, you know, my son's moving to this certain city to go to school. You should go there and plant a church. He'll do sound for you. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. And so fast forward, and now we have moved to Carpinteria. It's 2009, about October, November-ish. And we uh, have lived here for a, a bit of a time. And, and now this same city is popping up with crazy frequency constantly popping up in our lives. Online, I tried to start a, uh, a, a blog uh, account to, um, to, to help, you know, just let the kids where I was a high school pastor know and keep them updated of what we were doing. And on this blog account, um, the first page that came up as a sample page what was uh, life in this city, what life is like. And it, it was a way for people, it was a hub for people in that city to connect with one another on a Tumblr account. I started a uh, Dropbox account um, for external, um, you know, memory, and uh, the first picture that came up in the uh, random sample photos was a picture of this city. I kind of freaked out a little bit, and so... Uh, it just continually came up online. A friend of mine would send me a, a link to a, to a band live in concert, and they would say, coming to you live from this city. And over and over again in my job, the job that I happened to be, which in itself was a story of God's providence, how I got there, um, the one um, job that we had outside of the state, our state, California, was to this city. Everything else was local. So I'm constantly receiving shipping and doing inventory and picking up and doing delivery for the purpose of it going to this city. I'm working the longest hours I worked at that job. We'd work 16 hours, you know, on a continual basis until this job was completed. And, uh, this name of the city and writing it out, it's continually at the forefront of my mind. The movie thing was probably the freakiest part. We'd be watching a movie and then out of nowhere, it's a scene from the city or it's somebody at random for no reason at all. It might not even be in the movie. It's just like the actor says, hey, the city, think about it. And then they keep on talking. <laughs> That's how it felt to us. And I remember one particular night, I was turning my computer off. My wife, Nina, was right there with me, and, and there was a, a, a clip, a short minute-and-a-half-minute uh, trailer for some movie that Mel Gibson's in, and he's, the clip is going through, and at the end, he yells out, Will you follow me to this city? <laughs> I freaked out, shut it off. We looked at each other, <laughs> threw the computer out, like we... It was starting to get a little bit creepy. So, so much so that we 
as you fast forward, when I joined the staff at Reality, we decided to, the church planners and I, decided to take a trip and just pray over it and see if this is something that God's doing or if it's something that, like my wife said, maybe it's just because, you know, when you're pregnant, you just, see, you just happen to notice everybody who's pregnant around you. Maybe I'm just pregnant. I don't know, but... We wanted to find out if it was from the Lord or not, and so we planned to take a trip. Now, I struggle something fierce with buyer's remorse, and I'm always, I'm just cheap by nature. It's horrible, but uh, as I'm getting ready to purchase these plane tickets, I'm thinking about the cost of the tickets, and I'm also tripping out over the fact that the moment I purchase these tickets, the ball's rolling now. Like, we've opened ourselves up to this. And this is a big deal. And so I literally have my credit card out, the security code number in the back, looking at it, two numbers to punch in, and my hand on the mouse. And I'm thinking, should I do this or not? And at that moment, I got an email. Now, this is where it gets a little bit creepy. I was, starting to, I was getting some of Britt's emails because at the time he was having to deal with Daisy's cancer treatments pretty regularly. So... Dave Lomas and myself were receiving some of his emails pertaining to church planning. And the moment that I was considering purchasing these tickets, I got this email from a gal who formerly lived in Santa Barbara, and now she lives in this city. And in this email, she said, I've heard it a rumor that reality plans to come here and start a church. I've been praying for years for reality to come here. Is this a rumor or is it true? Please tell me so I don't get my hopes up. But I just want you to know that if you happen to come here, I know both Pastor Britt and Pastor G. Pastor G was my high school pastor. I would do whatever it takes to help start this church. You want me to drive? You want me to greet? You want me to preach? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And it was interesting because that email happened to come to me Jana, who was our secretary at the time, didn't know who to send that email to, so she forwarded it to me at that moment and says, I don't know what to do with this email. Can you handle it? Dave Lomas got the email also, and then he forwarded it to me and to everybody else, and in capital letters, Dave says, ah, I love it when Jesus does this, exclamation point. <laughs> and then Britt, ever in control, says, boys, that's why we pray and start slow. And my response was to turn the computer off, walk away, and go home. And I don't want anything to do with this right now. This is freaking me out. We purchased those tickets, and we ended up flying to that city. When we got to the city, it was evident that there was something there. It was exciting. It was, uh, it was, there was a sense of thrill and awe. There was a sense that God's favor was upon us, and we had favor with the, the people that were there. And as I was there, I thought to myself, this is an environment that I'd want to raise my kids in. But it was crazy. We walked around. We had a great time of prayer together. I remember us praying in this park and them asking me, so what are you thinking? And I just started to pour out all of my fears and concerns about the distance from uh, where all of our current community lived and um, the culture difference and the climate difference and all of that. How life would change and how everything, it's completely different to everything that I've known. And Tim said, you know, I've been trying not to like influence you, but I see you as being so perfect for this place. So we just started to pray together, and we had a really sweet time together as the sun was setting. It was just a really special time. And, and in the hotel, uh, Britt shared with us something that was on his heart out of Acts chapter 16. I'll read it to you if, you. if you have a Bible, you can turn there. But Acts 16, it says, Paul talks about their church planning endeavor, and he says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia. Note this, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And in that hotel room, that's when Britt had shared, you know, boys, if we're going to plant here in this city, it's going to be because God is calling us, you, we, reality. The pressure isn't on Al to figure out if this is where he's supposed to be. We need the Spirit of God to show us if this is what God is calling us together corporately as a community to birth a church in this city. And it really took the pressure off me, and I felt free until I went to the airport on the last day we were there. And then the fear of what would happen if now I'm living here and all of my friends are going back to the state that I know and love, California, and my family and I are stuck here in this crazy culture, this crazy climate, just different. And the, the, everything now at this point in this terminal is freaking me out. My, I'm stressing out because Jerry Springer's on full blast on the TV, and, you know, we're like, you know, talking about something, and it's just loud, and everything's happening, and, and I'm thinking about my family, and I told Britt, I got to get out of here, and I went back through security, knowing I'd have to come back again, and with the last name of Abdullah, it's not that easy to go through security. <laughs> but that's how badly I needed a relief. I went through security and just sat at this bench. Britt came out after me, and we sat down. We just had a smoothie. Smoothies make everything better. <laughs> and he said, you know, if we're going to birth a church anywhere, it's got to be because the Spirit of God is leading us. And we're not going to do anything until then, so don't even freak out. On the plane ride home, I sat next to a a Jewish man who was an attorney and he just spoke at a reputable college in the area where we were and, and he said, really? You've, you're considering? This guy's like, he's speaking to me right now. Really? You're thinking about starting a church there? Can't you start a church like in Arizona? I hate Arizona personally. It's so hot, but I thought, wow, if Arizona's better than this place, I'm really getting into something crazy. Well, I got home and, and just kind of put it away. I just didn't really want to deal with it for a while. And uh, in the meantime, Nina is now being stirred up and, and really looking at this city thinking, I think this is where we're going to wind up. So finally, I just said, you know what? We got to plan a trip out there to remove all romantic notion. We're going to plan a trip actually at the worst time of the year. And so we took a trip out there. And it, it was the worst time of the year. It was cold. Um, the first day, God tricked us because it was perfect weather. And I said, Nina, God's tricking us right now. <laughs> Not true, but it's a joke. Um, and the, the next day, all these things are happening. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm still, again, faced with the incredible difference of culture and climate change. But you know what? We went to church, two of them, on a Sunday morning. And I began to see that this place is in incredible need for more gospel-centered churches to be here. Incredible need. We met uh, one pastor and his wife. His wife had said that, um, you know, when we moved here, we didn't realize that a lot of things are acceptable in this city. But what is not accepted is to be a Christian or the Christian faith. In fact, it's way more acceptable to hate Christians and the Christian faith. And it was interesting that while we were talking, one guy who happened to be walking by saw us and heard us, overheard us talking and said, wait, where are you from? And I said, Carpinteria. He said, have you heard of reality? I said, yeah, I've heard of it. And he said, you know, God changed my life at Reality LA. I was doing an internship over the summer last year, and God changed my life through the gospel. For the first time, I really had an experience with Jesus. And just, it's, I've been, the worship times and the gospel has been uh, just changing me. 
And I've been praying that God would do something like that here in this city. And if you came here, I'd help out in whatever way. We ended up having coffee the next day, and he told me that he happened to be at Reality LA one of the two times, only twice I've ever spoken at Reality LA, and he was there that day. He missed the bus and wasn't going to go and then ended up walking to church or some crazy story like that. And he said, you know, this is weird that we meet here. I wasn't going to be at church this day. This was my last day helping out here, and he was going to be doing something else. It's just odd that we met. We ended up also meeting another pastor and, and his wife. They had us over for lunch one day to show us how life in the city is with the family. And it's funny, we ended up actually had our daughters on the same day this last year. Both have the same initials. And uh, it was just kind of quirky, one of those things. But um, we, he, he shared with us, he had been a constant encouragement to me, almost encouraged me, you have to come. And I would throw up all of my excuses of why I shouldn't come and how different it was. And he would say, well, have you thought of this? And really encouraging me through this whole process. In fact, the last time, one of the last times I talked to him was right here on this carpet. I, it was during a weekday. This sanctuary was dark and I was walking through just on the phone talking with him. And he He was talking to me more about the city, and I was throwing out more of my excuses, more of my fears, more of my concerns. And finally, he just stopped me, and he said, so when are you moving here? And before I could tell it, I said, spring 2012. That's the first time that I verbalized that or even thought it. I told Nina, I called Britt, I said, I don't know what's happening, but something's happening. And... um, so fast forward, and, and I said before, you can't always formalize or spiritualize those kind of big decisions, right? But there we were in Portland. I didn't want to go to Portland. We're back to the, where we started in the beginning now. And I was there with the Reality Church Planners. It had been a, a busy season in ministry. Nina was almost full-term pregnancy, but she encouraged me to go. I felt guilty of going, but I told her, yeah, maybe I should go, but I feel a strong sense that something impor- there's something for me in Portland, like that God's going to confirm something at this conference, or, or he's going he's gonna to close the door. The last time I was in Portland, it was to pray over that city. My wife and I were there, but we didn't feel the strong relational pull like we felt in this other city, although it's a very cool city, Portland. We didn't feel that. In fact, the one book that I bought while I was in Portland was a book on this other city, in the used bookstore, I just felt like I got to buy this. And so we're in Portland. We just had dropped our stuff off at the hotel, and now we're sitting at a restaurant. And as we're sitting in this booth, um, we're having a conversation with each other, Tim, Dave, Britt, myself. We're talking about church planting, and I've told Britt now my motive. It's just between he and I for me being there. I want to hear from God. And it was then that this song happened to play. Check it out. See, as we sat there and I heard these words, you know, it wasn't the song because I'd heard the song before. It was the fact that we just landed. We just arrived. We're having dinner and it happens the very first moment where we get a chance to get together. I grabbed Britt's arm. He looked at me and said, you said that you wanted God to speak to you in Portland. He explained, he explained to Tim and Dave everything that we were talking about. And now Tim is saying, what is it that you're, why are you, what, what are you fighting against? And, 
And I just knew at that moment that it wasn't the song, it was the convergence of all these things that had been happening. It was Nina waking up on uh, the Monday morning when we were in Boston and asking me, I feel like God is giving me this scripture in Jeremiah 29. Does it mean anything? Jeremiah 29, 7 says, But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And the prophecies that were given to us about a train going out from here to the East Coast into Boston, from L.A. to Boston, and, and all of these things that were happening. And now it's just the moment of clarity. It's kind of this convergence of all these things that happen. I realized we're going to birth reality Boston. Nice. And we're going to... And we're going to do it together as a body. And it's, it's crazy, but it's exciting. And I think it's, it's exciting because, you know, Boston has a legacy. And it's because of that legacy that it continues to have a massive cultural influence today. It has a historical influence and legacy. It was the birthplace of the American Revolution and Battle of Bunker Hill and uh, the Boston Massacre, of course, and the Battle of Lexington and Concord. It's the site of the historical events that we call it. The reason, that's the reason why we, it's known as the cradle of modern America or the birthplace of modern America. Not only does it have a historical influence and legacy, of course, it has an educational influence and legacy. Of course, it was the birthplace of the first public school, but it also is estimated that upwards of 20% of the modern world leaders come from or are trained in Boston educationally. It's the home of over 100 colleges in Boston proper, and over 250,000 students attend there every year. It's known as modern Athens of America. There's a lot of good ideas that swirl through there, that a lot of ideas that people go there to, to learn philosophy and education and medicine, research, electronics, engineering, finance. Of course, it's the home of noted colleges like Harvard, MIT, Boston U, um, Boston College. It also has cultural legacy. You know, Boston is, um, when we were on the subway, it's just amazing, just I love, the reason why I said I would love to raise my daughters here is because of the, all the different ethnicities and languages that are spoken. There's over 17 different ethnicities and, and many different dialects that are spoken in that city. It is where the nations come to, to learn and to be trained. It's also um, a spiritual influence and has a, has a rich spiritual legacy. It was in 1735-ish that the Great Awakening swept through Boston and that Jonathan Edwards was quoted to say, it's the place where God poured out his spirit in a very odd and unique way. Five years, six years after that, George Whitfield was noted to have spoken in the Boston Commons to 15,000, 17,000, and 20,000 people respectively on one given weekend. Fast forward that, about uh, 1950, Billy Graham then goes into Boston Commons and he's speaking to 50,000 people and many people uh, make profession of faith right there in the Boston Common in 46 degree weather. And that's warm for Boston. It has this rich spiritual legacy. But today, only 2% of the entire area attends an evangelical church. Statistically speaking, there's more Christians per capita in India than there are in Boston. Islam in the U.S. census in 2000 named Boston as being in the top 10 cities in the U.S. with the greatest population of Arabs and Muslims. And according to Har uh, studies by Harvard, Islam is on a, on a trajectory of growth and engagement in the city. Boston's a home to the Mother Church of Christian Science. Massachusetts ranks among the highest in the county of those who claim no religious affiliation. New York is only second to Boston. Boston is a haven for Unitarianism and a birthplace of transcendentalism. Now, 
Albert Moeller in one article, that article that I read in 2009 in April, he said this, New England is losing the remnants of its Christian memory. We need a new generation of Christians who, like Jonathan Edwards, will bring the gospel anew to New England. New England was the cradle of colonial America. Is it now the cradle of America's secular future? Now, I remember getting a card from a friend of mine, just a business card with a verse on the back of it when I first entered into ministry. And uh, on the back of that card, it read Romans 15, 20, where Paul says, my ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I've been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says those who have never been told about him will see and those who have never heard of him will understand. We're praying for another great awakening in the New England area for a new fire to sweep through. There's a desperate need for gospel-centered churches and God has called us, as crazy as it seems, from Carpinteria to Santa Barbara, Ventura, Oxnard, to plant a church in Boston, to birth a church in Boston. It is, um, out of 100 cities, 97th on list of churches. It's one of the least churched areas in the nation, and God's calling us. So Pastor Britt's going to close us in prayer. Thank you so much. All right, guys, well, this is a calling on our church. We, we need to be together to do this. So we'll start involving you guys lots of ways over the next year. The launch date is a year from this fall, um, Lord willing. So we're going to start open prayer meetings this fall. We've been having some secret ones, but we'll start them open this fall, and all of you will be invited to pray. We'll be doing prayer tours there starting in the spring. We'll be taking hundreds of you to the city to pray through the city and learn the history and identify the strongholds and bring them down in Jesus' name. So we're really excited to partner with what Christ is already doing in Boston through people he already has there, through other churches. We're not the answer. We're joining with what Christ is doing. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to be faithful with that. We're really once again humbled, Lord, that you've called us to be a part of your passion for planting churches. And Lord, I, I pray over this specific congregation right now, that you would call men and women, that you would call men and women to a deeper engagement with your mission and your heart to birth churches. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you've given our life purposes, purpose, and that it's about something bigger than ourselves. We want to be sent into the world for your glory. So call us, Lord, and as we seek your face now and worship, we just say, Spirit, have your way with us. Bring us deeper into the heart of Christ and the love of the Father. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.